You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to another edition of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton. Lots of stuff to talk about today, but uh, I'll tell you what, we got a great guest waiting for us. But let's take a walk into the briefing room where I'm going to give you my view from the blue, which is going to be a little bit different today. Before I start talking about the current events in law enforcement that I usually discuss, I want to read a, uh, a letter. It's a letter written by a surviving spouse of a police officer who died in the line of duty. It's written to Mr. Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. It's a very poignant message. And, uh, well, I'll just read it to you because uh, it's a message that needs to go out to everybody. Attention, Mark Zuckerberg. I am currently overwhelmed with my emotions. Concerns of police survivors, cops, attempted to post an advertisement in advance of Giving Tuesday and it was rejected for reasons that were allegedly not in acceptance to your, quote, policies, unquote, yet still denied upon repeal. Facebook has a history of vilifying police officers. This goes beyond that, though. You vilified our officers that laid down their lives protecting those that they didn't know. They protect you and your family. They protect the very people that hate them. They left for work and never returned home. You have now vilified and disrespected our surviving families, spouses, children, parents, siblings, extended family, among others, who will never see or hear their voices again. You see, the organization Facebook refused the ad for literally helps us rebuild our shattered lives. They are there from the time our loved one is murdered through life. That's right. They don't leave us. They provide us with counseling, retreats that provide for our needs, specialized for children, age-appropriate, growing up with them, spouses retreats, parent retreats, co-worker retreats, sibling retreats, etc. We forge relationships with others that have been through tragedies that no others could imagine unless they've lived our horrors and are walking our paths. These connections could not be possible without cops. The healing they provide to us could not be possible without them and is provided free for life. You have no idea what it's like to answer the door to officers saying you need to come with them to the hospital. You have no idea what it is like to walk a long hallway lined with officers to trauma room to view your murdered officer. Your once private life is suddenly thrust into the public. Imagine telling your children they no longer have a father or a mother and why. Suddenly, there's a funeral with thousands of officers and strangers that have come to pay their respects. You're suddenly invited to appear at major events. Your life is now consumed by memorials, some hundreds or even thousands of miles away. Honorable? Yes. Traumatic? Beyond fathomable. Many survivors, children included, develop post-traumatic stress disorder. COPS provides the specialized resources to treat and rebuild lives. It's not just any resources. It takes resources that is specific to our trauma, and they find it, and they fund it. I'm truly heartbroken. I don't understand the hatred anymore. 
And why is it now even being directed at our surviving families? I'm so angry. I'm angry that you, that your platform, has denied an ad that simply tells the amazing things that Concerns of Police Survivors has done for us. Without the donations they receive, nothing would be possible for us. Our children would not receive the incredible healing resources they do. Spouses like me wouldn't be able to move forward like I have. Other spouses and survivors wouldn't be able to move forward. We are survivors helping survivors with an incredible staff and national cops, events, and retreats. Cops is not political. Cops does not discriminate on any level for any reason. The ad did not contain any cursing. It was not vulgar. Literally, nothing was against Facebook standards. It just shows your blatant disrespect for law enforcement and our families. You continue to vilify those that protect and lay their lives down protecting you, your family, complete strangers, and even those that hate them. Your platform is part of the problem, not part of the solution. Shameful, and shameful that you and your platform refuse to support an organization that helps rebuild the shattered lives of our survivors' families by simply posting an advertisement. I would certainly hope that it was a terrible mistake that the cops' ad was rejected. I'd also hope that you and your platform start supporting our police and become part of the solution. I'm not going to say the person's name, but she is a surviving spouse. This is a, this is a topic that um, all of us in law enforcement uh, that have a social media presence are dealing with. Um, my organization, The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement, is facing the same issue. Um, my Facebook pages are constantly shadow banned. Uh, the uh, uh, reality is that Facebook um, is, uh, is anti-law enforcement. And nothing that they say um, is going to change my mind about that. But this is a particularly poignant uh, letter, I believe. I think it really, really gets down to the fact that this billion-dollar organization um, that, uh, that is run by this guy, Zuckerberg, um, is, a, is a heartless, faceless behemoth that... Uh, that in reality uh, could be a positive influence uh, regarding law enforcement and many other social social uh, issues. But instead, they have chosen a path, a path that is negative, a path that is um, um, that subliminally um, changes the um, narrative about policing, that consciously, consciously. Um, stills the voices of those who serve or those who have served and are trying to um, tell the legitimate truths about policing and about the police. So Facebook, I don't know if you're listening. Zuckerberg, you're probably uh, flying around in your private jet somewhere. But the reality is that... Um, the men and women who are serving this country behind a badge deserve much better, deserve much better than you. You've heard me talk a lot about the war on cops. This uh, Facebook assault on police 
is, uh, is, is part of that war on cops. But it goes even deeper. Not only is the war on cops about the physical attacks, but it is also about the political environment that they are now having to face. Um, they're, they're seeing very insidious um, things take place within the criminal justice system itself. Um, there are a whole group of activist district attorneys now who, who are literally putting targets on the, on the cops' backs trying to, trying to put them in jail for simply doing their jobs. Uh, the Philadelphia district attorney is a perfect example. And what he's doing right now, um, you know, very similar to uh, what our guest is going to be talking about is in, 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 relation to, um, in relation to prosecutions of police. But this Philadelphia district attorney, his name is Krasner, has been, has been anti-law enforcement from the very beginning. Um, he's a he's a defense attorney who who uh, uh, has has literally made you know innumerable negative comments about police. Well, now he's he is the district attorney, and instead of of actively prosecuting criminality, he's going after cops. Right now, he is um, he is prosecuting a police officer, a Philadelphia police officer who was uh, in a, uh, a fight with the suspect, trying to disarm the suspect. The guy had a gun. They were literally in a fight for his life. Um, he tried to shoot the suspect who had the gun. Uh, one time, at, from very close range, and his gun malfunctioned. And then, as the, the suspect broke away, uh, the, the officer opened fire and killed him. Well, um, during the, this very intense fight situation, as he, as he broke away, he tossed his gun. The officer was unaware of that. The officer thought that he still had the gun and opened fire because he knew that this guy was clearly a danger. Well, this is, this is covered by the use of force laws. Well, Krasner, what he's trying to do, he, he arrests the guy. He arrests the officer, charges him with murder. And then tries to retroactively change the law as it as it um, as it um, corresponds to the police use of force. It's it's absolutely an outrage, and it shows you the brazenness and the the um, absolute um, uh, vindictiveness that that district attorneys like this. Are, are playing when it comes down to cops. This officer simply was trying to protect himself and others, and he made a deadly force decision. What happened? They fired him, and now he's on trial for his life. It is this type of, of war on cops that is actively destroying the morale of law enforcement. It is affecting the recruitment and is it affecting the retention? This is a travesty. And it's one that uh, I never thought we would see on a recurring basis, but we are. And uh, so, Krasner, you, uh, you're, you're a part of the war on cops, which is a sickening thing to say to a district attorney. Well, that's about all the time we have here in the briefing room. Uh, we've got, a, like I said, a great guest waiting for us in the interview room. And... Uh, Hold on to your seat.
there's something very important I want you to do for me. If you've been listening to the Voice of American Law Enforcement for any time, you know that we are very dedicated to the law enforcement community here. I would like you to go to a website. It's www.thewoundedblue.org. I want you to read about how we at this organization are aiding injured and disabled law enforcement officers. If you are a law enforcement officer and you have been injured or disabled and you feel forgotten and alone, this is why we exist. We have a fully trained peer support team, all made of police officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed up. They know what you're going through, and we exist for you. You are the part of the Blue family, and you deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. Unfortunately, many police agencies and cities do not treat their officers with respect and dignity when they are injured, either physically or emotionally. So go to thewoundedblue.org. If you are a citizen and you want to help, please check out how you can join And if you're a police officer or have been, exist for you. So check out thewoundedblue.org. Now, I would also urge you to see our film. It is on Amazon, it is on iTunes, it's the Microsoft Store, it's pretty much every platform you can imagine. It's called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. You would be shocked at how the men and women of this, you know, the law enforcement community in this country, many are being treated with such disrespect. Many people, most people, even cops, believe that if you are severely injured in the line of duty, you're going to be taken care of financially and emotionally. In many cases, that is not true. Please watch the film and help the Wounded Blue. I've got some exciting news if you are a coffee lover. And that is that Law Dog Coffee has been born. The Law Dog Coffee Company is a law enforcement friendly um, company that makes delicious, and I mean delicious, roasted coffee. Okay, here's the deal. Law Dog Coffee Company. It's lawdogcoffee.com. It is a subscription-based uh, company. So the, the coffee, which is phenomenal, is delivered directly to your door. You just you just order how, how often you want it, and it gets delivered to you. Now, why am I so um, proud about this? Well, because this company came to me and said, Randy, we are a cause-oriented company. And we believe in helping our injured and disabled law enforcement officers. So for every sale, they will donate 15% of their revenue to the Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. They are also a number one sponsor of the Wounded Blue. So not only is the coffee phenomenal, I drink it all the time, but it is, it is helping our law enforcement community. So what could be better than that? Uh, go to the website, lawdogcoffee.com. Oh, by the way, they got some of the baddest gear you can imagine. Great clothing line, all kinds of cool mugs and hats and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, so check it out. And 15% of all revenue goes to the Wounded Blue. You're going to love it. And... This is, I made this up. I kind of like this. Law Dog Coffee. Tastes so good. Ought to be illegal. 
It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. With me today in the interview room of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, is the president of the Oklahoma Fraternal Order of Police, Jason Smith. Jason is not only the president of the FOP, but is also a 23-year law enforcement veteran himself. And he is with me today to talk about an incredible travesty of justice taking place right now in the state of Oklahoma. Jason, so uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Yeah, glad to be on here. Well, you know, first of all, uh, let's talk about what is what is actually happening in Oklahoma with uh, Lieutenant John Mitchell, who has been charged with murder for shooting and killing an active shooter. I, I, when I when I read this when I read this headline, I thought to myself, there has got to be something more to this story, because when I read the facts of it, it's it's unbelievable. So would you would if you would fill in for the listeners. Um, about what took place and about what's happening to uh, to this lieutenant. You bet. You know, in speaking with the lieutenant's attorney in this case uh, and obtaining certain facts of it, it just becomes more apparent that this is a uh, attempt of a district attorney trying to make a name for himself. Lieutenant Mitchell came in contact with this person um, who was shooting at multiple vehicles. She shot at an innocent bystander uh, in a road rage incident, which started this, uh, this chain of events. She shot at her mother. And when, officer, uh, when an officer responded to that, she shot at the officer. Uh, there were bullet holes in the officer's car that were trying to make contact and reasonably talk this woman down. Um, that officer spent time from cover trying to get her to disarm peacefully. Uh, and her answer to that was to shoot at that officer uh, as she was driving away. Uh, that officer got in pursuit of her. Uh, Lieutenant Mitchell uh, came on to the pursuit, put his vehicle in between the shooting. They both reported to after the shooting that she was shooting at them while they were driving. Um, and Officer or Lieutenant Mitchell put his vehicle in between the officer being shot at and that person and opened fire through his windshield uh, with his AR-15 like he was trained to do in an active shooting class just weeks before by the trooper in Oklahoma that was uh, recognized rightfully and awarded for taking out a felony suspect who had murdered other people uh, in a pursuit just like that. Um, Officer Mitchell opened fire on her. Um, she brought the vehicle to a stop. There was no indication from her, according to reports, that she was surrendering. There was no white flag. There was no hands in the air. 
Um, I was told from reports that she died with the gun next to her hand. Um, this is just a case where the officer under Tennessee versus Garner that he'd been trained to do uh, perceived a threat to himself, to others in the community, and he took what action necessary to save the lives of the men and women he was charged to serve. Okay, so let, let's, let's break it down. She um, commits a number of felonies by shooting at people, clearly a danger to, uh, to the, the, the entire community. Then she goes mobile, and she begins shooting at people while she's driving around. Um, she shoots at the police. The um, Lieutenant Mitchell, who comes out, if I'm, if I'm correct, he came out um, after being dispatched from his own home. So he comes out, puts his life in jeopardy, um, sees this, this shooter shooting at him and others, opens fire from inside his patrol car with his, with his patrol rifle, and takes out an armed suspect who's actively shooting at people. That about covers it, right? That just about covers it. So yeah. an investigation, two investigations take place. The uh, internal investigation from the police agency, and then the state does an investigation too, correct? That is correct, but also the investigation for the agency was not conducted by that agency. It was conducted by an independent outside agency that they contracted with to conduct it so that it would be thorough and impartial. And he was cleared. Yes. Everybody in that, in that investigation said that uh, Lieutenant Mitchell acted appropriately. Yes. And then, and then there was a, a, a second investigation. Well, in Oklahoma, the district attorney has to review all uh, officer-involved shootings. To uh, I say officer-involved shootings that involve uh, the suspect uh, dying uh, to determine if the, any laws were broken. Well, it, so that's a that's a county investigation. Was there a state investigation also? Yes, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation conducted an investigation, and they and they said that that the shooting was justifiable. They don't say that it's just foul or not just foul, but they cleared the shooting as, as not, you know, as, as a valid, you know, Tennessee right. versus Garner shooting, yes. Okay, so you have, you have two responsible um, agencies both saying that the, shooting, that the shooting was justifiable. And then months later, what happens? You know, the district attorney got this case uh, days later. And so I'm just kind of backing up on you a little bit here, but, and the, the, the district attorney for Kay County uh, passed the case claiming a conflict of interest because Lieutenant Mitchell serves on his drug task force and he knew Lieutenant Mitchell. So he asked for a, uh, another district attorney to look at this. It was given to uh, the DA in Stevens, Caddo, um, and Grady County, Jason Hicks, who sat on it for over six months. Um, there was no new evidence that was presented six months later that wasn't available the day after the shooting. The, the, the city of Blackwell made several attempts to call this district attorney and say, hey, we need, we've got three officers in our small, very small department uh, 
that aren't working and we need to know what you're going to do with this. And it was always, he was too busy to deal with that. Or there was always an excuse of why he couldn't look at this case in a timely manner. That, that bothers me almost more than anything in this situation, because this is someone with their lives on the line. This officer who spent 20 years serving behind the badge in one of the most dangerous jobs a police officer can have serving violent criminal search warrants all over a three county area for 20 years and managed not to shoot anybody. And now all of a sudden his life is on hold. His family doesn't know what their future is. And we're going to be too busy and wait for over six months to take action and decide what you're going to do. And then only after the pressure to finish this, he takes it in front of a grand jury. He could have taken it to a grand jury a week later because the evidence didn't change. No new videos surfaced. No forensic evidence came to light. So let, let me ask you this. Now, every, every state is different uh, when it comes down to, to presenting to a grand jury. Is, that, is it the norm in Oklahoma to present officer-involved shootings to a grand jury? Is that something that is necessary uh, and done on a, on a routine basis? It is not. Um, in Tulsa County, for instance, in the Betty Shelby shooting uh, that many of your listeners will be uh, familiar with, uh, that district attorney just filed the charge of murder uh, through an affidavit in district court. Um, it, it happens all over. It can go either way. You can take it to a grand jury. But the idea of taking it to a grand jury is to give that grand jury the entire factual evidence and let them decide. And in this case, that just didn't happen, I believe. So this, this district attorney could have cleared this officer with basically a stroke of the pen. Absolutely. But, but instead, decided to take it to a grand jury, and we all know that you can indict a ham sandwich, as the saying goes. Uh, he, so he purposefully obtained an indictment for second-degree murder against this officer. Absolutely. I mean, you read this indictment and in my 23 years, and I know you've had a lengthy career in law enforcement as well. Uh, read the indictment. That indictment is an affidavit in, in our world. And in that indictment, it doesn't even mention that there's holes, bullet holes in the vehicles uh, that were chasing this person. Why would you leave that out? They want to emphasize that, that Lieutenant Mitchell shot 60 rounds but they're not leaving out the fact that this woman wasn't shot 60 times. There were not 60 bullet holes in this woman's body. So there's clearly an agenda behind this. Uh, this county where, uh, where Hicks is, is, is he the district attorney? Is he an assistant district attorney? He's the district attorney. So in this county, what's the population of the county? Do you know? I do not know. It's it's four counties that he serves, and I'm leaving one of them out. I can't remember the fourth, but they're all very rural. Um, I would say probably fifty thousand or a hundred thousand people in all the counties combined. I, so I okay, so he's so he's the district attorney of um, of an area that probably never gets any attention whatsoever, and suddenly he's given the power of almost life and death to indict a active law enforcement officer. And, and he decides to go for it. He, he swings for the fence on, on this issue. And 
and it's just a travesty. It's, it's horrible for our profession. It puts the lives of the hardworking men and women of law enforcement all over this country in danger because we're second guessing ourselves. I work with officers who have come to me and I have members in the state that have called me and said, Jason, what do we do? I mean, what more of the, our training has taught us that if we have to do this horrible thing, if we have to take a human life, that the law will protect us because of Tennessee versus Garner, because of the way we were trained. You know, if, if he would have backed out and stopped shooting and she would have left that scene and killed somebody, this district attorney would have prosecuted him for dereliction of duty. Absolutely. Just like we saw in Florida. So, so now what's, what's, what is happening is now he's indicted. Now he is going to, for, for the listeners, I, I just want, I want you to put yourself in the place of this, of this police lieutenant, um, a veteran law enforcement officer, stellar record, uh, gets caught up in a situation where it is literally life and death. And he makes the ultimate decision to take a human life. He is found to be justified by two different uh, law enforcement agencies uh, that are charged with investigating it. And then suddenly he finds himself months later indicted for second degree murder, which in essence could be a life sentence for an older, an older person because it take, carries with it um, a sentence of over 20 years. And all because he did his duty. That's what is so, that is what is so disturbing here. And, and let's, let's be honest, Jason, every cop in the country is watching this case. Because they know that if this can happen to Jake, to, to this lieutenant, it can happen to them. Yeah, that's you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's very scary what we're seeing, and we're not just seeing it in Oklahoma. Of course, we're we saw it in in states all over the country, and you know, police officers in this country don't want to be held above the law. We certainly want to be held accountable to the law, but we want that law applied to us equally and fairly, with the blindfolds of the justice, lady of justice on, not off. And what I believe is that this DA tilted those scales on the wrong side in this indictment. He left out key information that would have told this grand jury more information about this uh, case, and maybe they would have made a dis different decision, I don't know. But ultimately, we are extremely eager for the facts of this case to go public so that the public can know that this man didn't commit a murder, he committed a he committed a heroic act and protected the citizens of his community exactly the way he swore and protect to do. And the, the man deserves, the man's a hero. That's right. The man deserves a medal and not, not, uh, not to be treated like a criminal. Um, let's talk about the, let's talk about the emotional and psychological ramifications of this on a police officer. Um, you know, you and I have, have uh, seen a, a lot of trauma over the years, um, both um, both from you know involving citizens that we serve, but also involving those that we serve with. 
And um, any shooting, any time that, that you are forced to make a deadly force decision like this, it is a life-changing experience. Just, just making that decision. But then to be accused of murder because of it, what do you think the, 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 the short-term and the long-term ramifications are on this officer's life and mental health? Well, I can tell you they're great. I can tell you that as dedicated as this man is to his craft, a 20-year officer that runs circles around two-year officers in the, in the drug enforcement arena, he's been awarded uh, by our state drug enforcement association. I can tell you that he's going to hesitate. He's going to think about it the next time, and maybe that's what they want. But what's going to happen is it's either going to get him killed or someone else killed. And quite frankly, that's just something that we can't do. We are not. We are absolutely not suggesting that officers shouldn't be held to the highest scrutiny when taking a human life. We, we expect that. But to this level of accusing him of a murder, uh, separating him from his blue family for seven months, think about that. This family that you've stood next to for 20 years in the ditches, in the, on the side of the streets, on the, on the accidents that were fatal, and all the horrible things that we see in a profession, and then you're separated that family and separated from your support group for, for six to seven months while the DA is too busy to look at this case. It, it's just, a, it damages us as a profession. It scares us as a profession. And we just want to know uh, where does this stop? Um, we want officers to be held accountable, but we want them to be held accountable in a fair manner. This case is so black and white, Tennessee versus Garner, that it's just laughable that we're even having this discussion right now. It, you're right. That's exactly right. When, I mean, when I first saw the headline, um, the headline itself shocked me. And then I read, I read the news reports, and I, I was trying to read into it going, okay, wait a minute. Is there something I'm missing here? Or is this really a, a person shooting at a cop who dies as a result, and they, and they, uh, and they accuse the cop of murder? I thought that, there, that, that I was missing something. Well, it turns out the only thing that I was missing is information about this district attorney who clearly has a political agenda attached to him. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, this is a question that, that um, I don't know. Um, you, you represent the Fraternal Order of Police. You're the president of, of this organization who probably represents more cops in Oklahoma than any other police um, union or, or fraternal organization. Is that correct? That is correct. Is there any legal recourse? Uh, I mean, you and I know, both know, that this if this ever goes to a jury, there isn't a jury in the world that's going to convict this officer. Uh, because it, it can't. There's no way, unless, unless the jury pool is packed with, with cop haters, and I don't think there's that many people in Oklahoma that hate cops that much that they would find the guy guilty under these circumstances. When this, when this is found to be uh, unjustified, this, this arrest, are there any ramifications that the district attorney can face as a result of this persecution by prosecution? I certainly hope so. I, I don't, I don't have, you know, enough information. I do know that 
uh, attorneys in Oklahoma are very well protected under when they do, when, when they're doing th what they think is their job, uh, they're protected from things like this uh, because they always have the fallback of we're just trying to get justice fairly and equally. Um, we don't believe that they're do that he's doing that in this case. And certainly if there's ramifications, I certainly hope he answers for those. Um, we want, we want the people who serve under him in their communities uh, to take notice of what's going on today. You know, the, the public, the, the community of Blackwell, Oklahoma, which is about 7,000 people, um, are wholeheartedly in support of Lieutenant Mitchell. I, I've read web pages or websites where criminals that Lieutenant Mitchell has put in prison have come out in support of his actions this day. That's interesting. That's really interesting. That tells you that this isn't this isn't just some random guy. This is a this is a hero in his community. He's a mentor to young uh, football players uh, that he coaches. He's a member of boards and community organizations throughout his community, uh, and he's he's well loved. He's well liked, and that doesn't even have anything to do with the evidence in this case. But it shows a tribute to what kind of man that Lieutenant Mitchell is and why this is so important that the Fraternal Order of Police stand up for our members, that we that our members go to work today all across this country and know that the FOP has your back, that we will be there to represent you when you're unfairly accused of doing something wrong. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the people that I had on, my, uh, on, on this program was uh, Betty Shelby, who was the Tulsa police officer who was charged with, with murder in what was clearly a politically motivated prosecution. And, um, and she told me personally on this show that had it not been for the Fraternal Order of Police uh, legal defense plan, she, she, her life would have been ruined. Um, the FOP really stepped up to the plate. I think they spent over a million dollars on her defense. And, uh, and, you know, you can see that this, that this um, prosecution of, of this lieutenant, that is going to bring with it a huge price tag as well. So if you don't have the backing of an organization like the FOP, you, you can, your life can be ruined. Absolutely. Uh, we have one of the best legal defense, uh, the best legal defense plans in the United States of America. Uh, we serve over 350,000 members. I don't know how many members are on the legal defense. It's a, it's a great deal. We have a great legal defense committee with the National Fraternal Order Police that have done a stellar job in building that uh, legal defense plan to what it is today. Um, it is that insurance that officers need in today's world because you just never know. You brought up Betty Shelby. Uh, legal defense saved her from going to prison, but Betty Shelby isn't a, a Tulsa police officer today. Yeah, and she was. She was run out of there by uh, by a cowardly uh, cowardly chief who uh, who basically um, couldn't stand the fact that that she was found not guilty and basically harassed her into leaving. Amen. And. And that's the travesty of it. Darren Wilson today, after all the evidence and the false narratives that were in that story, Darren Wilson isn't a police officer today. You know who, you know who that hurts? It hurts the good men and women across this country that want to go to work 
and go home every day and feel safely in their homes. Law enforcement applications are down 62% in the United States of America. And anybody that wants to know why only need to read the facts of this story. That's exactly right. And you know, we're, this is, this is um, demonstrable of the decline in, how do I, how do I even say this? Um, in the public perception of law enforcement, the, um, the activists that have infiltrated in positions of authority like district attorneys, the lawmakers who have basically decriminalized, in fact, Oklahoma is one of the states that just basically decriminalized everything. Um, yep. I, I mean, I, and, then, and then you just had the biggest prisoner release in Oklahoma history as well. So, I mean, it's like, I'm watching what's happening in Oklahoma. It's like a carbon copy of what has taken place in California with the, with the neutralization of laws. And what we see is a lawlessness that is now encompassing many of these cities that embrace these policies. So how, as, a, as a, the head of the largest union, police union in Oklahoma, how are your guys feeling about this and, and how are you reacting to it? Uh, we're, we're worried about it. We're concerned. That's why we're coming out so strong on this particular case. That's why we came out so strong in defense of Betty Shelby. Uh, we, we want the process to be fair. We want the justice system to work the way it was intended to work. Uh, instead of making a name for themselves, they should look at the evidence as a whole. And we're just not getting that. You're right. Um, the, the, the California style rules and the ha, have come to Oklahoma and it breaks our hearts collectively. But what I also know is the men and women that serve behind the badge in Oklahoma are strong. And we're going to overcome this. We're going to work together to make sure that awareness is, is brought up so that, that when this happens, they know that they have the backing they do to do their jobs. Yesterday alone, a small town in Oklahoma, Veda, an officer was shot in the chest uh, by a suspect he was trying to arrest. The officer was okay. It was a, it was a bullet-resistant vest that saved that man's life. But the suspect was killed. And the first call I got when this situation happened was someone worried that an activist DA was going to try to say that they didn't have the right to shoot that suspect. That is so ridiculous and so outrageous to me if you would have said that to me six months ago. But today I just said, well, it's a good thing you have FOP legal because, brother, we got your back. You know, we, uh, we throw the word unbelievable around, but, um, but that's exactly what this is. Um, it, 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 it's unbelievable to conceive that a cop doing what they are not only not only trained to do, what they swore to do to protect themselves and others can can be not only um, uh, harassed for doing their jobs, but have the having the same legal system that they have been involved in for decades turn on them like a rabid dog. Um, this uh, district attorney, Jason Hicks, uh, he should be disbarred for what he did. Uh, he should be brought up on charges for malicious prosecution, and he should be disbarred. And I hope that uh, the FOP um, uh, looks upon this and, and tries to hold this, this, uh, this guy accountable for his despicable actions. We, we certainly will, but 
here's here's the, the the first and foremost important thing in in my world right now is to see Lieutenant Mitchell with his uniform on in a community that he loves back at work. And before we try to go after tit for tat with any district attorney or any part of this justice system, uh, we want him back to work. That's what is right. Uh, that's what he needs. Uh, God has called him to this work like he called so many of us. And it's going to be so hard for him uh, to get back in that saddle, but he needs to get back in that saddle because he makes a difference in his community. His community is safer because that man works there and it's time to put him back to work. And as soon as that's done, we'll look at these other options and, and other things that we can do to hold this district attorney accountable. But our first priority is to get Lieutenant Mitchell cleared uh, back to work and taking care of his family. You know, um, I would like for uh, all my listeners here to show your show your um, support for Officer Mitchell and for Lieutenant Mitchell. Excuse me. Um, go if you would um, go to the Facebook page for um, the uh, the police department. I'm, I'm sure that Lieutenant Mitchell's police department has a Facebook page, right? It does. I think I, I know he's yeah. Go ahead. Go. I, I just I asked for uh, for the support to be shown in a tangible way. Um, what's the, the name of the agency? It's the Blackwell Police Department uh, in uh, in Oklahoma. It is the Blackwell Police Department. Yes. And uh, and show your support for Lieutenant Mitchell. I know I'm going to, and um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show today, Jason, because. Uh, this story needs to be told, and it needs to be told in depth and, and for the public to really gain an understanding of the of the um, gravity of this of this situation and what's facing not only law enforcement officers in Oklahoma but across America. Absolutely, and they also have a, a Facebook page called "We Stand by John Mitchell." Oh, that's even better. We stand by John Mitchell on Facebook. You bet. And it's, it, they have to be accepted in there, but there's over 6,000 members in it as I look uh, at the page right now. Uh, and the outpouring support for Lieutenant Mitchell is amazing. It's uplifting him. He and I talk frequently. Um, without it, I can't imagine what kind of personal hell this man uh, could be going through without the major loving support that he's receiving from all over this country. Um, there, there are no bad guys on the night uh, that this happened. There was a severely mentally challenged, ill person that, that was a, a significant threat to society. And there was a hero that put his body and put his vehicle in between that threat and, and the public and his officers and did what he had to do. And, and, and Lieutenant Mitchell knows that, and we're proud to call him our brother. Absolutely. Um, Tom Mitchell, if you're listening to this broadcast, uh, we have your back. And uh, Jason, thanks so much for being on Blue Lives Radio. This is the voice of American law enforcement. For those of you that do not know, I am the founder of an organization that um, is touching the lives of literally thousands of law enforcement officers across the United States. It's called the Wounded Blue. It's the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. So, 
for to my law enforcement audience, whether you are current or former law enforcement, I know the stresses. I know the the factors that uh, that you have had to deal with. I understand um, what it feels like to be abandoned and alone, uh, whether you have been injured physically or emotionally. You know, we all carry with us um, some great burdens from the things that we that we see um, when we when we serve. It is not anything to feel uh, guilty about or to feel um, uh, that you're that you're alone in your feelings because you're not. But it's really helpful sometimes to have somebody to talk to, and that's what the Wounded Blue is all about. We provide peer support for for officers all over this country. I have a fully trained peer team. Every one of these officers has been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed over. They understand, and they are the blue family that that you should have. Uh, if you go to the website, thewoundedblue.org, that's thewoundedblue.org, and, um, and check it out. Contact us, and I'll have a peer team member contact you. If you are a law enforcement officer, former or current, if you are a person that supports law enforcement, we have now opened up a membership uh, um, opportunity for everyone. This is pretty badass. Um, many people have, have contacted me over the years and said, Randy, I support law enforcement, but I don't know how to show it. And I never had the right answer until now. Now, by simply making a $25 donation or a membership fee, uh, you not only get to join the Wounded Blue, you get the uh, access to our newsletter, you get a uh, decal for your car or your house, wherever you want to put it. You get a document holder that identifies you as a, a supporter of the Wounded Blue. And you also get a discount package to 300,000 businesses across the United States that will give you a discount. That's not bad for 24 bucks, and knowing that that $24 goes to assist injured and disabled law enforcement officers. If you are a current or former officer, you get all that Plus, you get access to CAPER. CAPER is our incredible um, emotional benefit plan. And that is, uh, CAPER is the confidential assistance program for emergency responders. And what this uh, offers you is access to licensed psychologists who specialize in post-traumatic stress. And you get that from the privacy of your own home via video conferencing, so that your department is not even involved in it. CAPER is a brand new benefit. And for 10 bucks a month, not only do you get access, but so does your family for a couple extra dollars. It's an incredible benefit. Look at it as an investment in your emotional well-being. Uh, join the Wounded Blue. Unity. In unity, there is strength. Join us. TheWoundedBlue.org. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week here on the Voice of American Law Enforcement, we honor the men and women of the profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. This was a very violent week for law enforcement. And uh, right now I have three names to read. A fourth name will be added, but they have not yet identified the officer who was killed. The first is Sergeant Christopher Brewster of the Houston Police Department in Texas. Sergeant Christopher Brewster was shot and killed while responding to a domestic assault at about 6 p.m. A woman had called 911 and reported that she had been assaulted by her boyfriend 
and that he was armed with two firearms. When officers arrived at the scene, both subjects had already left. Sergeant Brewster was checking the area when he saw the couple walking in the 7400 block of Avenue L. Sergeant Brewster attempted to contact them, but was fired upon as he exited his patrol car. Despite being struck in the chest above his vest, he was able to give dispatchers and other officers a description of his wounds and a direction of travel. The man was arrested moments later by other officers. Sergeant Brewster was transported to Memorial Hermann Hospital, where he succumbed to his wounds. Sergeant Brewster has served with the Houston Police Department for nine years. Sergeant Christopher Brewster, Houston Police Department, Texas. End of watch. Saturday, December 7th, 2019. The second is Agent Billy Fred Clardy III of the Huntsville Police Department in Alabama. Agent Billy Clardy III was shot and killed while participating in a narcotics operation with the Haida Gulf Task Force. The task force was conducting a by-bust operation at a home on Leverett Street near the intersection of Oakwood Avenue at 4 p.m. Agents attempted to take the suspect into custody as the man delivered a large amount of narcotics to the home. The man immediately opened fire, striking Agent Clardy in an area not protected by his vest. The man then fled on foot but was taken into custody after a short foot pursuit. He was charged with capital murder. Agent Clardy was a U.S. Army veteran. He had served the Huntsville Police Department for 14 years and had previously served with the Limestone County Sheriff's Office and the Fayetteville, Tennessee Police Department. He is survived by his wife and five children. Agent Clardy's father, Police Officer Billy Clardy Jr., was also killed in the line of duty while serving the Huntsville Police Department. Officer Clardy Jr. was killed in a vehicle crash on May 3, 1978. Agent Billy Fred Clardy III, Huntsville Police, Alabama. End of watch. Friday, December 6, 2019. The third is Police Officer Stephen Carr of the Fayetteville Police Department in Arkansas. Police Officer Stephen Carr was shot and killed in an unprovoked attack as he sat in his patrol car in the Fayetteville Police Department's rear parking lot at approximately 9.40 p.m. He was waiting for his partner to return from inside of the police station when a subject approached him and opened fire without warning, killing him. Officers inside of the station heard the shots and immediately responded. They pursued the subject into an alley next to the police station and fatally shot him in an exchange of gunfire. Officers and paramedics provided aid to Officer Carr, but he succumbed to his wounds. Officer Carr had served the Fayetteville Police Department for two and a half years and was assigned to the bicycle unit. Police Officer Stephen Carr, Fayetteville Police Department, Arkansas. End of watch. December 7, 2019. A fourth police officer in Jersey City uh, was killed at the uh, just during the taping of this of this show. Um, that officer's name has not been yet released. Um, the violence continues. 116 police officers killed in the line of duty so far this year. May they rest in peace. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, where we bring you everything about law enforcement from a law enforcement perspective. A couple things. If you are on Facebook, please come to my page. That is the voice of American law enforcement and like it and follow it. Also, um, since you're going to be on Facebook anyway, go to the Wounded Blue and uh, like that and follow that as well. If you're a Twitterer, I'm at LT Randy Sutton. 
And um, I think that about covers my social media presence. I do want to hear from you. I'd love to hear from people that have uh, ideas about stories, about things you want me to cover. I try to be as responsive as I can. And uh, anyway, I, I really do appreciate you tuning in to Blue Lives Radio. And, you know, uh, we've been on the air a little over three years now. And I hear from a lot of my folks that listen to the show that it's, that it's meaningful to you. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.